Welcome to the Middle Class to Millionaires podcast, a no-nonsense show designed to help you punch fear in the face and create the life you've always dreamed of. Now, here are your hosts, Vince and Christian. Hey everyone, welcome back to Middle Class to Millionaires. It is 2021. We haven't recorded a podcast since 2010, feels like, but we're back. We're back at it. How are you, Christian? I'm doing well. How about yourself? I'm super duper on this cold, fine morning. So today, uh, we're going to talk about commercial real estate. I'm not sure if we've talked about it in any of our episodes before, um, but if we have or haven't, this one's going to be really good. What uh, What are we talking about today? Well, today we're going to be talking about one of my favorite uh, commercial asset classes, self-storage. Nice. Well, let's just get in because we got a lot to cover. Let's just get at it. First question for you, what made you decide to pursue commercial real estate and specifically self-storage? Yeah, so so specifically with commercial real estate, um, I just thought, you know, because uh, I started out doing the single family thing and, and really transitioned and been transitioning out of the single family, still doing some stuff here and there. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, single family is only worth what the next house next door is worth. Um, and that fluctuates depending on the market and, uh, you know, economic factors and whatnot. But, um, you know, to me, it was a slow route to wealth, uh, you know, buying 30, 50 houses to be able to just be uh, financially comfortable uh, was fine and dandy, but I didn't want to take, you know, 10, 15, 20 years to get to uh, 50, 100 houses. And then not to mention the economies of scale was not there because you have, you know, let's just say you have 50 houses in all different areas. That's 50 different roofs. That's 50 different HVACs. That's 50, <laughs> all kinds of stuff. So yeah. to me, it just made sense to, you know, either have one apartment complex with 100 units in one building. Uh, and of course, I think it's wise to diversify having a few single family here. If you need to sell them off, it's a lot easier to sell off a single family house as opposed to one giant commercial building, but the, the main focus being commercial. Yeah, I can speak to that specifically. Last year we had um, five properties total, was trying to sell three of our rental properties. It took, I mean, some of them went fairly quickly, but overall it took more time than I wanted to sell all three rental properties. One, because I tried selling one of them with a tenant in it, and that took a little while. Finally, when the tenant moved out, you know, I was able to move it, but it just took so much time. Um, so you're right. Instead of selling off three, I could have probably sold off one in maybe less amount of time than it took me to sell those three collectively. But I also wanted to touch on something you said about um, acquiring, let's just say, 30 properties to get financially free, right? If you do it the traditional route, which, um, and this is I say traditional in air quotes because we don't do this when we buy properties. But most people think when you buy a rental property, you know, you got to put 20% down, right? Mm -hmm. So let's just say for easy math, I'm doing uh, $200,000 houses and I need 20,000 or 20% down. That's $40,000, right? Not including closing costs. So we're not even going to factor that in. If I have to get 30 of those to cash flow, let's just say 9,000 a month, assuming that each cash flow is 300. I would need $1.2 million to buy 30 houses, not including closing costs. So let's just say probably $1.3 to $1.4 million 
to become financially free? Well, most people just starting out probably don't have 1.2 to 1.4 million dollars sitting around to buy all those houses. It's true. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, we'll get into to your deal and how you landed it because you know I'm sure the, the obvious questions are, well, how do I get in commercial real estate? You know, it's a this is a it's a scary monster, but and that's one of the reasons, like, because uh, I for a while there I was really uh, adamant about purchasing a a apartment complex and you know um, I think the barrier to entry is a little bit tougher uh, simply because a lot of banks ask to, that you have you know a million dollar net worth or past experience with commercial assets and, and whatnot not to say that you can't leverage that you definitely can with other people it just becomes a little bit a little bit tougher to get into and uh, so that's one of the reasons I started uh, shifting my focus to self-storage um, and one a few of the other things were the fact of the fact that uh, self-storage is uh, self-store. I'm sorry, recession resistant. Um, it's not recession proof, but recession resistant. Uh, it was tried during the 08 recession and it did well compared to all, all, all the other commercial assets. Um, and then the same through the pandemic, uh, which it did. It did uh, pretty well compared to the other assets right now. Commercial um, and apartment complexes suffering a little bit because of the eviction memorandum deal <laughs> yeah about that but uh so that was another reason and then the entry was a little bit easier in my opinion uh to get into yeah and on that eviction thing i mean think about it if you own an apartment complex and and your tenants stop paying and they you can't evict them because of some stupid law uh well then you're you're stuck fronting the mortgage however if you have a self-storage facility there's no I would assume, I'm just talking off the cuff, I would assume there's no eviction type law in that too because it's just a, it's just a yeah, service that, someone's paying for, right? Yeah, it's not, a, it's not a, an eviction. It's not like a house or an apartment. You don't have to evict. It pretty much it goes under the lien law. So like um, after um, uh, a certain amount of time of non-payment, they get notified and then they get a certified letter uh, and then after the 90th day, I believe, um, their stuff gets sent to auction. So a relatively short period. It's a lot easier. You don't have to do all this stuff to, to do an eviction, go to court and all that. So mm -hmm. way easier, uh, less headache. Yeah. And you can probably make up, you know, for the months that they're not paying with auctioning off their stuff. You know, if they're, if they're paying, let's say $50 for a small unit and you get 500 bucks for their stuff that's 10 months worth of income well, it depends on their stuff sometimes i know i'm just uh, hypotheticals yeah <laughs> sometimes it might be a loss but uh but it's in my opinion it's a lot better than evictions and whatnot so yeah so what resources did you use to learn about this asset class yeah so uh really started diving into podcast uh, aj osborne's podcast uh, self-storage income was one of them michael wagner's storage rebellion group was another one uh facebook groups of, of specifically pertaining to self-storage any articles i can find uh the inside self-storage uh, website has a lot of articles on there that uh, provide a good amount of resources um you know so those are a few yeah, I really like um, Self Storage Income, the podcast. I've been listening to it almost religiously the past few weeks, and it's 
Dude, it's just blowing my mind. Some of the stories that these people have with, you know, acquiring their properties. Kind of same with yours, which we'll get into in a minute. But um, if you're listening to this right now and you are even intrigued about self-storage, I would go to Self Storage Income, the podcast, and just listen to every single episode you can because it's it's gold. Yeah. And one thing I want to clear up about self-storage, a lot of people think, you know, you can just buy it and let it sit and it's just passive. Uh, those are the those are the people that tend to fail uh, in the business and uh, simply because uh, once you buy a self-storage facility, it is not just a passive uh, investment. It's a retail business. Uh, you have to run it as such in order to be successful. Um, so if you think about it from that perspective, uh, that you're providing a service, which is security for people's items, and you think of it as a retail business, then you will probably do well in this industry. True. So a lot of the sellers that we hear about who are selling their properties are a lot of people who've uh, out-of-state owners or people even local who've just mismanaged it by just thinking they can just have a property and let it sit and not do anything with it. Right. And those throw, are the, uh, throw up an automated kiosk and think they're going to come to you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what was the timeline um, from when you started to learn about it uh, until this, until you found this property that we're about to talk about? Yeah, so I started uh, really learning about it probably, I think, in March of 2020 was when I really, really started dedicating myself, you know, a podcast a day, a few books, you know, three, four, three or four books from then to the first facility that I purchased or I had a contract on, uh, which was July of 2020, had a contract on a 4,500 square foot um, facility uh, and I'm glad I walked away from the deal because there's tons of red flags after I was in the due diligence phase. Uh, and not to mention, uh, it was a bad deal. So glad I walked away. I yeah. paid, I did have, I did pay a, uh, attorney to do some work, you know, when in the commercial space, you, you're using, utilizing attorneys. Uh, so I did lose out $1,600, but it was a, a great, uh, learning lesson. Shoot, that's a cheap lesson. Yeah, learning lesson for of how the process works and everything. Um, so when I went to my next facility, it was everything was was pretty like I, I had a good idea of what I was doing and what I was supposed to be doing during the entire process. Yeah, and that's great. I, I like that because sixteen hundred dollars. You can. I'm thinking about the place where I went to college. You cannot even get one class for sixteen hundred dollars. So. The fact that you got a uh, class in self storage for sixteen hundred dollars is uh, probably worth its weight in gold. You know. Yeah. I wish my first lesson of real estate investing would have been only sixteen hundred dollars and not the thirty thousand dollar one <laughs> that we've talked about before. So I, th I think that's cheap. So that's great. Yeah. Um, so tell us about this deal that you found. Um, tell us about how you found it. Yeah. So. Um... Uh, after I, I felt that I had a good amount of knowledge about the industry, about the asset, I sent a batch of mailers out via direct mail about 100, 100 miles away from where I'm living. And I got a couple contacts from that. And uh, I I do believe that it, it was, I don't know, the fact that I had people reach back out to me. I, I think my views on, on uh, direct mail has changed a little bit. I think in this industry, uh, relationship is the way to go. A lot of people tend to just chunk your letters and you won't be the first call um, if, if they're wanting to sell their facility. So, but I did get, I guess, 
and well, not lucky, but Blessed. you know, yeah, that mm -hmm. that someone uh, replied to me, uh, older seller. He was probably he was in he's uh, 77 years old. Uh, he has over 150 properties. Um, they're all most of them are commercial, I believe. He he replied and about probably four to five months from the from the time the letter went out um we were just building a relationship talking back and forth and probably about four months later was really when we started digging into the numbers gotcha so that that was in uh, july or august right yeah i think so and then you just closed on it what six six seven days ago uh yeah uh, second week of january nice uh, so tell us the details about the deal and how you negotiated it. Uh, what'd you buy it for? What do you think it's going to be worth? All the, all the juicy stuff. Yeah, so um, it's a, a 40,000 square foot facility, uh, 250 units. Um, bought it for $19, $19.50 a square foot or somewhere around there. Wow. Uh, and so that's a purchase price for you math gurus out there of 775 thousand dollars nice and uh so i saw the opportunity whenever he gave me the p l profit and loss yes profit and loss for for those who don't know and when you get into commercial the the things you start looking at to analyze a deal are you know profit and loss rent rolls t12 which is the trailing 12 or the last 12 months uh uh income statements um, you know, tax returns, different items like that. So he, he sent me a, a lot of that information. And a lot of times when you're, when you're talking to these mom and pop owners, they won't have a lot of that information. Um, so a lot of times you have to do your best and it's not a, a deal breaker. You just have to kind of figure that stuff on your own and, and how you're going to analyze the deal. So one of the things that stuck out to me most was how high his expenses were. Um, I think, I think 29, 2020 had like an 80% expense ratio, which is way, way, way high. That's uh, insane. Industry standard is about 35% of gross. The way I would operate is 30% of, of gross, um, or actually 30% of the stabilized ratio. And, um, so yeah, so right away I saw the opportunity of being able to, just by reducing expenses, having the, the asset be worth, uh, $1 million. Um, that doesn't include, you know, rent increases and, and all the extra stuff. So you, um, you saw, um, initially just purchasing it by reducing expenses, you can make it worth a million dollars before, before doing anything to it. Right. Okay. Awesome. Um, and so, but before I, you know, decided to move further with the deal. Uh, one of the most important things about self-storage that's not like houses or apartments is you have to dig into the demographics. So, uh, you know, you need to, to calculate your supply and demand, um, which is which supply and demand uh, and square foot per capita is just a general rule of thumb. And I'll explain that here in a second. Um, but you're also looking at, you know, the employers in the area, you're looking at your competition, you're looking at, um, uh, so uh, different factors like that, uh, medium household incomes, stuff like that. So that all plays a part 
Oh, and also population growth. If if the population has been stagnant or decreasing for the last 10, 10 years, you probably want to stay away. Um, that's a good indicator that that certain area is not going to continue um, in a, a positive uh, growth uh, direction. And yeah, I think that's that was some of the things I did in the beginning. Um, so we'll go back to square foot per capita, which again is just a rule of thumb. Uh, rules are meant to be broken, so it's not necessarily <laughs> an indicator like a yes or no, but if the higher the number gets, the more uh, I would proceed with caution when buying a facility. Explain so, what uh, square foot per capita is. Square foot per capita is a rule of thumb to kind of determine the supply and demand of self-storage. So let's just say you have 100,000 square feet of existing self-storage. You have a population of 10,000 people. And if your industry standard is between seven and eight, that means you have 70,000 to 80,000 uh, square feet of demand in the area, which which means that you, you could possibly be oversupplied by um, 30,000 square feet. And um, like I said, this is this is more so a rule of thumb. There are certain areas that have a a uh, 15 square foot per capita, and the asset is still doing tremendously well. Uh, this comes down to being hyper local and where the asset actually is. Um, so, just throwing that out there. Gotcha. So basically, it's like eight square feet per person would be the demand in a certain area. As a rule of thumb, uh, it's the national average, yeah. Right. Okay. Okay. Just trying to break it down, Barney style. Okay. So you you analyzed uh, all those those things, and then you decided that hey, I I might want to make an offer on this property. So um, tell us about what the seller was looking for, what you what you were looking for, and uh, I guess how you negotiated the deal. How did it how did it all transpire? Yeah, so um, <clears throat> I had a number in mind uh, of the purchase price, which I think it was somewhere in the the high eights that I was initially thinking about. I kept asking the seller what his number is. I want to hear his number first, mm -hmm. the way around. I'm not going to give a number out first. So he came back with 775, and I was like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so. I didn't even try to like bring him down or anything. Um, he had kept mentioning owner financing when we were talking about the terms and that was fine with me. I was expecting to have to come to the table with $150,000, which was his underlying loan. I was already getting ready to, to uh, you know, use some of my own capital and raise the rest. And he pretty much informed me that he didn't want any down payment. So talk, uh, talk about that. So that's... That's like mind blowing because most owner finance deals they want like ten percent down. So why did he, why did he, why didn't he want anything down? Yeah. So uh, one of the reasons being he, you know, he was an older, older, um, older gentleman. Uh, he had already utilized all this depreciation on this asset. So essentially, when if he if he sold it, you know, via, uh, you know, selling it where I bought it via a bank, then he would have to pay back his uh cost basis or basically all the depreciation that he utilized against the property on his sale 
So for him, the biggest thing was taxes. I found I found the pain point and we found a solution that worked for both of us. Gotcha. So he he basically wanted to avoid paying any taxes, period. So even yeah. if you would have brought 150 to the table, that would have been profit for him. Then he would have had to pay whatever his percentage of tax bracket was on that 150. Yeah. So right. if, if he were in the 30%, he'd be paying what 45,000 in taxes, something some, some, something crazy like that. Yep. So nice. Yeah. So this is this is mind blowing for anyone who's listening. You found a property four to five months after you started venturing into self-storage you send out a mailer you get one hit from the guy you build a relationship which is key i think people need to take note of that relationships is key because even in residential real estate a lot of these sellers get gazillions of postcards and mailers and phone calls and all the things and i, I went to one house uh, when i first started and this guy showed me a stack and i don't know why he picked ours to call us but um, they just get so much mail so like you said building a relationship just seeing you know, um, even, uh, what's his, what's his name? AJ talked about this in an episode, uh, thousand two, a couple days ago. He, he built a relationship with this one seller for probably the same amount of time as you, four or five months before anything ever happened. You know, you, you, when you care about someone and you care about how you can help them and how you can win too, that's, that's when stuff starts happening. You start negotiating the deal. Then he drops the owner finance ball on you, which is phenomenal. That's like, and that was a uh, 6% interest with a 25-year amortization. <laughs> Which is, is so crazy because that's basically bank money. Most banks uh, are like around 4 to 5%. Uh, yeah. I'm looking at a, a self-storage unit in the northeast of here, and my interest rate's going to be around 4 to 5 too. So you're paying barely 1% over, nothing down. None of the title, or no, you have title fees, but none of the lender fees and all that junk, just yep. straight up. And you, so you basically got into the deal for how much? What were your closing costs? Uh, it was around, it was 2000 bucks that I paid. I mean, tw and 25 year am was pretty, was pretty cool. Cause I know a lot of, uh, operators get around, get 20 year. So, yeah. And for, for people wondering what, what's the difference in five years difference a five-year difference can literally be hundreds of dollars a month in cash flow, which is uh, is key because that's obviously what we're after is the cash flow and the net worth. Yeah, and I, and just a note on that, I would recommend anyone that wants to figure out mortgages and, and loan amounts using the 10BII calculator um, is, is pretty great. It, it Not only does it give you the payment, it also gives you the amortization schedule and uh, you know, how much interest is going to be made and whatnot. And so that, that that's pretty helpful. Oh, snap. You're talking like I just had to Google it while we're on the on the call here. This is like old school calculator, like that you go buy at Walmart. Well, I, there's an app for it, yeah. Oh, okay. Um, I, just have, I just have the app um, from the uh, Apple market or whatever. Um, I think it's like four bucks that you pay for it, and uh, it's pretty awesome. What did, what did they call those uh, calculators back in the day? They had a name uh, for it. I don't know. Nah, someone someone on the show will know what I'm talking about. You had to have it for school. I can't remember the name. Anyway, okay, so that's a great resource. I didn't know about that resource. I go to mortgagecalculator.org to do mine, but I don't think it shows me the amortization schedule, so that's great. 
Okay, so you negotiated seller seller financing, which is phenomenal. Took you how long to close the deal after due diligence? Uh, let's see, probably about 30 to 40 days. That's awesome. So that's um, still about a month quicker than most, right? Because normally you have 30 days of due diligence and then about 45 days to close. Uh, yeah, so it, it really depends. But, uh, you, you know, after you submit the LOI, you have your purchase and sell agreement. Uh, you then uh, start your due diligence period, which I typically shoot for 45 days. Um, and then, you know, you're, you're closing thereafter. So uh, it could be a few months long sometimes, uh, just depending on the property. Yeah, so that's great. So what I was just trying to highlight is this one moved pretty quick for you, uh, and it's a killer deal. Uh, anyone who heard that acronym LOI just means letter of intent. It's it's a non-binding, basically just a, a document that you create on your computer saying, I uh, intend to make an offer on this property for this much, you know, basically yeah. saving time than sending a full-length contract, blah, blah, blah. Seller yep. says, so okay, I like it. Let's move forward with the contract. Yeah, some sellers don't care for LOIs. They'll say, no, just do, I want to purchase and sell agreement. And uh, that's okay too. It just depends on your your level of uh, knowledge and readiness. Um, because once you do the purchase and agreement, you're, that's a binding contract. So. Yep. Yep. Yeah. The uh, deal I submitted an offer on uh, two days ago, they didn't want an LOI. They just wanted the contract. So I said, okay, let's do it. And we won't talk about that, <laughs> that seller uh, right now. Um, so tell us about your plans for the property and what you think it would be worth in about one to two years. Yeah. So uh, one of the things, you know, going into this whole thing is, is making sure that you have a, um, a reposition plan after acquisition. So, you know, you don't, you don't just go in and, and buy the facility thinking, you know, well, I'll figure it out once I buy it. This is a pretty, uh, a definitely a must be prepared and must have a written out plan of uh, what I plan to do. I wrote a business plan for this thing. Um, I have, like in my fold in my computer, I have a file for this the the facility, and there's probably like 30 different other files within that file pertaining to different things for the facility to get up and running, and different and different documents and forms, analyzers and whatnot. Um, <clears throat> so, created a repositioning plan. Um, it's pretty it's pretty much this this binder here that I got well you can't see it but <laughs> <laughs> yeah you got your nifty background there that that people won't see on the podcast yeah it's, it's I got like a like a three inch thick binder of just different documents and forms for the facility uh so a lot of planning goes into this thing and um um so I have a a three to four year timeline on this thing um with rental increases every year um really getting there's a lot of tenants that are um, not paying market prices and I think probably about 25% are not paying what market is I mean there's like for example um, 10 by 20s I think we have them for uh, $70 and there's some tenants paying 20 to $30 per per uh, per unit on the 10 by 20s for real yeah so wow so tons of money left on the table um right now the, the, the facility is grossing 135,000 a year um the the transition plan the next few years 
uh, it should be grossing 197 or somewhere around there um, with the NOI of, uh, I think it was 100 and, uh, 150 or 160. Uh, NOI, for those listening, NOI means net operating income, which is your income after expenses. So gross is what the property makes. You subtract all the expenses. NOI is net operating what's left. Yeah, so it should gross almost 160 NOI uh, once I'm done with my stabilization plan. That's incredible. And it makes it worth what? Uh, so uh, so there's this is where cap rate comes into play. And uh, industry standard cap rate for self-storage is, is 8 to 12. And then, of course, a lot lower once you get into the metro areas. Um, but for this... In this um, area, you're probably looking at nine to ten. So right now, I have it at a. If I were to sell it at a at a nine cap, uh, valuation would be one point seven three nine million. <laughs> let's let's go back. One point seven three nine million, right? Yeah, and of course this this is after the rehab that I that I plan to do. Um, I think I have about. Uh, over the next couple years, 50 grand planned uh, going into the facility. And this includes upgraded lighting, upgraded security, upgraded software, um, upgraded integrating the, the um, gate to the software, um, pouring concrete in between. And the concrete is going to be probably the most um, expensive thing. But oh, yeah, I, it's I, not cheap. I, yeah, I have some people that might be able to hook it up. So I might do that in phases. Um or might or maybe not even at all just redoing the gravel it does have gravel right now um but uh all those things make a difference on your bottom line because you can't just buy a facility thinking you're going to increase rents and not do anything to the facility mm -hmm. you have to have a reason why tenants are going to be okay with an increase um and and you know doing a facelift and adding fencing and whatnot is is all part of it yeah so let's we brush right over this, but I want people to to, to catch. Okay, go ahead. One more thing. Uh, so so the one point seven doesn't include other um, line revenue line items like like um, uh, locks, selling locks and stuff like that, um, tenant insurance. So those that that could easily be another twenty k added to the bottom line. So this is just from rental income. <laughs> how old are you christian uh, i'm 28 years old sir. 28 what did what did someone say to you to you the other day yeah this was crazy so so i am a hispanic male uh covered in tattoos uh i had someone tell me that someone that looks like me is held down in today's society i think that's a bunch of crap uh, <laughs> i think i think you're only held down if you think you're held down, I think your your decisions in life, uh, your choices, not taking responsibility for your actions and your drive, all determine where you you can be in today's society. So, mm -hmm. I love that because uh, I had a goal to be a net worth millionaire by 35. I turned 35 this year. Um, barring some miracle in acquisitions, I probably won't reach my goal. I'll get close, but I won't reach it. And you're 28 years old. If it takes you two years to get this property to where you want it to be, you turn 29 in October. 
So you basically have a, a year and uh, what, 10 months, nine months. Mm-hmm. You have a year, nine months, let's just say a year, nine months to get this property up to where you want it to be, which I think you will well before that. So I did the math here. Um, what you think the property is going to be worth minus rehab minus your uh, crazy expensive closing cost of $2,000. <laughs> this is going to increase your net worth by $912,000. And this doesn't include the other uh, equity that I have in the other houses. And so we're not stopping here either. Uh, our goal by t- uh, mid-2022 is to have 100,000 square feet of self-storage. And then by 2025, shooting for a million square feet of self-storage. One million square feet of self-storage. Let that blow your mind. Right now you've got 40,000. Yes. You want a million. I think you can and do that's it. Just, that's just that, oh, no doubt. And that's just the beginning. Um, you know, I was looking up a list of the top 10 privately owned self-storage companies, and the biggest one has 10 million square feet. So this is chump change compared to that. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, dude. I, you know, one of the reasons why I think we connect so well uh, is because you, you put a, so my, my, if you're familiar with Cl- Clifton string finder, my number two is futuristic. So I'm always, uh, dreaming, whatever. My number one is responsibility. So my yes is my yes. Uh, I don't remember what your strengths are, but I know that you, when you say you're going to do something, you do it and you set these crazy goals and you achieve them. And so, you know, some people might be like, Oh man, a million square feet. That seems so crazy. But you were just saying it's all in your mindset. Like yeah, people who make, ex- <laughs> I posted something the other day on Instagram. It says, um, winners don't make excuses. You're literally responsible. How your life looks, barring some obviously, you know, unforeseen circumstance is completely dependent on you and the actions that you take to, to create the life that you want, which we harp on on almost every single episode. So what I think is cool about this situation right here is you're going to be because you have those you have your personal house and you have another rental property in uh, southeast Texas southeast DFW. Um, your net worth is going to be over a million dollars by the time you're thirty, if not before. And and more and more right right right. Well, you're going to be you're going to reach net worth millionaire. Is what I'm saying. Oh yeah. And you're supposedly a Hispanic male with tattoos who's not going to go anywhere, right? And not to mention. Yes. And not to mention, you know, my family and where we come from, you know, we don't come from much. Um, I, you know, I didn't I didn't have a silver spoon in my mouth. And so really, there's there's no excuse as long as you if you're here in the United States, there's no excuse. This is 2021. You have YouTube. You have all these free resources to learn. I think people just uh, they're just they make too many excuses. They they're entitled they don't want to make time. They'd rather watch Netflix. They'd rather mm-hmm. X, Y, Z. And, you know, every, every time I get into my car, I have the choice. I can listen to music and I can or I can listen to a podcast. And not to say that I don't listen to music because I do. Um, but a lot of the time I'm listening to a podcast and getting that education and yep. that education. And that's coming from somebody that has a master's degree. Uh, I think the degree that um, honestly, I didn't get much from it. I only got <laughs> I only did it because the army paid for a majority of it. Yeah. I think I've learned way, way more, uh, from self-education. Oh, I agree. My, my degree yeah. is sitting here nicely on my wall to the left of me. Uh, thankfully I didn't pay for it either. The GI bill did, but I have learned more in my 
tomorrow, next month marks four years of leaving my full-time job being a real estate investor. I've learned more in my four years than I think I could have learned with any piece of paper that's hanging on my wall. Not to say that degrees aren't completely useless. I have, I, it's a love-hate relationship for me with, with school. I was actually just looking at, um, looking at law schools because I, I, I'm like an attorney at heart and probably not going to do it, but I think education can be good. I just think there are better ways my to plan. learn in 2021. Yeah, and my opinion is is that if if you're interested in being an entrepreneur or a business owner, then you don't need a degree. Nope. Um, I think you need your own self education, drive, persistence, and consist uh, consistency. Um, you know, because we still need doctors, we still need all that st- engineers. Um, I think if you're thinking about education, that you calculate the return on investment because it's an investment. Mm, that's good. Um, and if you're, you know, trying to be a underwater basket weaver <laughs> you, and you're not and you're going to make 20K a year or something, then that's not the wisest uh, investment. Yeah, I love it. Um, yeah. So what advice do you have for people who think commercial real estate might seem scary or it's too big of a venture? Uh, or maybe they're like, well, maybe I should just get started in residential real estate first and just buy a real property. Yeah. Um, so I think I think that it really doesn't. It doesn't matter who you are. If you think you can do it, you can do it. Um, I think you just have to be creative in how you do it. Because I flip, I started flipping. I flipped my first house with you in 2019 of summer 2019. Yeah. Uh, did a few more on my own after that, and then partnered up with you again in 2020 to knock out a few more. Um, and then, um, yeah, I mean, really, just uh, I learned about the asset and and found ways that I could enter the the industry and uh i did i mean it it is true it really is a blessing on how big the facility is and, and the numbers of course because you know really as i probably would have if i didn't have this i probably would have bought a, a smaller facility or something but uh yeah this was definitely a blessing but it's really all about creative financing creating a win for the seller and uh, and even if even if i had to bring money to the table uh, I would have, I would have done it and I would have found, found a way to do it. So yeah, if you want something bad enough to make it happen. So yeah. a lot of people think that, you know, commercial real estate, whether it's self storage or multifamily apartments, you know, is, is harder than residential real estate. But, uh, I won't speak to it cause this is about you, but in your experience with flipping houses and, and buying your rental property, how actually, how much more work is self storage in comparison to, you know, buying a rental property, rehabbing it, having tenants, blah, 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 or even buying a house, flipping it, that whole process. Like, is it really that much more work? Actually, it kind of is, yeah. Okay, um, but but weigh the, weigh the benefits, though. Um, so, so I think it's the same amount of energy, except there's just, I think really the hard work only comes in the transition period of, of um, getting the facility up and running like you wanted to, and once it's reached its reach where it needs to be then it's 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 way way easier um but you know in the first you know as soon as you as soon as you purchase it and close you know the next week or week and a half you're you're spending on site uh you know uh knocking out your repositioning plan following it through uh you know getting uh bids and signs made and uh, switching over, looking at all the tenants and, and trying to figure out uh, where who's laid and whatnot and when they pay, their move-in dates. Um, 
you know, when when was the last time they had a rental increase? And so, as far as the beginning, it, it is a little bit a little bit more work, but I think it's way 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 worth it because, like we said earlier, with one deal, we'll shoot my net worth to you know a million bucks. So, uh, <laughs> and it would have and, taken you thirty conservatively thirty houses to get so, to get to where you are in one deal. Yeah, because I mean, you know, if you you get you get fifty, sixty grand per house and uh, of equity, and you're you're like, man, this is great. And then, you, but it takes, <laughs> you know, you said twenty twenty of those to to even get there. So to be able to do it in one deal is yeah. phenomenal. Yeah, so that's what I was saying about the the amount of work required, you know, because uh, like even flipping a house, like yeah, I think flipping a house is pretty easy because we've done so many and we have a good team and systems for it. But even still. To flip a house takes three or four weeks of, you know, again, because we have it so systematized, it's not as intensive as it might be if you're first beginning. But relatively speaking, it's it's almost the same amount of work if you're talking about the, the, the net worth that it creates. You know, you're going to get a million dollars in net worth on one property where uh, it would take, let's just say again, 30 properties of single family houses of work to get that. Yeah, if you're talking about the net worth creation versus the amount of work, then yeah, it's 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 nothing compared to what the net what net worth it'll bring. Yeah, it's a no brainer. And and we talk, uh, you talked about creative financing because a lot of people's question is, well, how do I get the money? You know, I don't have I don't have X amount of dollars to drop on commercial real estate. Well, I this this uh, self storage that I put an offer on, if if I actually get it, will probably be the first time. Not probably. This will be the first time I've used my own money to purchase real estate. In four years, in four years, I've used other people's money to buy anything that I've bought. This will be the first time I've used my own. So, if you are out there like, "Oh, I don't have the money," dude, there are so many ways to raise money or to make it happen. Or even you strike gold like you did and getting a seller who's like, "No, I don't want any money down." If you want it bad enough, if you want the life that you dream of, you'll make it happen. Plain and simple. Yep. All right, let's move on. I guess one of my last questions for you is what are some of the most important lessons you've learned so far? Maybe one or two. There's probably a million, but what are like one or two key lessons you've learned in this process? One of the things that I'm currently dealing with right now um, is, you know, a lot of the things I wanted to have um, pretty much ready to go to be able to operate the facility from day one. Um, I, I put off a little bit just because like, there's these these are items that cost money and you know if i paid for them before and for whatever reason it didn't close then i'd kind of be out of it mm -hmm. um and so right now I'm, I'm dealing with the prolonged how it's being prolonged and it's it's going a little bit slower getting up and running uh than i wanted to like having a website that's going to take a few weeks to get done but also websites are expensive to build yep um, they take time yeah, so so I wish that uh, I don't know. It's kind of like it, it's kind of a hard thing because um, you know it's like well, I, I think it's going to close, but then also what if what if something doesn't happen? Oh, that's real estate, man. Nothing ever goes according to plan, for sure. And so, um, but it's all it's all good. I mean, there's things we're we're transitioning and and doing it. Luckily, um, occupancy right now is right at 80%. So it's, it's not negative cash flowing, uh, yet or per se, not 
not negative cash flowing right now. So I'll be fine, but yeah. And even, even still like you bought this property six days ago. <laughs> so yeah. I, I understand the, uh, the impatience of it. I mean, you know, as well as anybody with how much I text you about certain things, I'm probably one of the most impatient people uh, out there. So I, uh, I share in your pain. What's, what's one thing, well, I guess one piece of advice as we close that you could give to people who are looking to get into self-storage or just commercial real estate in general? Yeah, honestly, I think it's just taking time to educate yourself on, on the thing. I know a lot of people like are really interested and they just want to jump in and they don't know how to do a proper prelim analysis on a facility. Um, so really just practicing and learning uh, all the ins and outs of the industry, knowing industry standards, uh, reading as many books as you can, podcasts, and even if you need a partner on your first deal or something to get it done, get it done. I mean, you know, it doesn't it doesn't necessarily have to be if you if you feel like you know you can't do it or would rather do it with a partner, do it with a partner who's interested. Um, there's tons of ways to get in. Uh, so, but I think self education is the first, and then action after is definitely needed. Yep. And if you need a kick in the butt right now, go listen to episode one and two of this podcast on mindset. And hopefully that might align you with the way that we think about these things and the way that I, I feel like most successful entrepreneurs think because it's all about the mind. So, well, Christian, really excited for you, man. You're doing crazy, crazy, great things. Um, excited to see where this storage facility and the million square feet of other storage facilities take you. Yep. That, uh, thank you, sir. And as this podcast is named Middle Class to Millionaire, we're living it, you know? Yep. Keep on uh, uh, with the journey with us, and uh, we thank you. Yep. See you guys on the next one. This episode of the Middle Class to Millionaires podcast has ended, but be sure to subscribe for more tips and strategies on entrepreneurship, life, and business to help you create the life you've always dreamed of. Don't forget to rate and review so we can continue to bring you the best content on planet Earth.